Hello, friends. Welcome to the Now's the Time podcast. This is Caleb Suko, and this is the podcast where we talk about how we can use our lives right now to worship our God. And this is sort of the first, I guess, real episode of 2018, although I did put out one of my sermons last week. But this week, I am I talked with Pastor and author Jim Cece, who wrote the book called The Purity War. And the reason that I wanted to talk with him was because we actually had him speaking at one of our church leadership conferences last year, this past fall, in Ukraine. And he did an excellent job of talking about reasons why especially pastors and church leaders can sometimes fall morally and proactive things of what you can do to strengthen your faith, strengthen your walk with God, strengthen your relationship with your wife, with your spouse, so that you don't fall into temptation. So I just wanted to have him come on and talk a little bit about his book. His book is, of course, in English, and there will be links in the show notes to his book. And also, as you'll hear, it's being translated into Russian and Ukrainian. So I look forward to that so that we can get that resource out to our Ukrainian our Ukrainian friends and, and ministry partners in Ukraine. But anyway, uh, let's get to this interview. Pastor, author, Jim CC. Here we go. Who was it that made the contact with you that invited you to to uh, Ukraine? Initially, was uh, the European Leadership Forum uh, and uh, Yaroslav Lukasik. Okay, okay. And then I um, <clears throat> began to go and do conferences there in Kiev, and at the uh, I believe it's called Christian Hope Church. But I was doing pastors' conferences for right. all of the, the groups that gra- gathered together. Eventually, I spoke at the uh, European Leadership Forums, Eastern European Leadership Forum. Okay. I was a key speaker there. And all of these are recorded and online, by the way, at our website. Yeah, I actually, I, I think I had come across that when I was looking that up. But um, I, I think um, you must have, or somebody from uh, the church there in Belicerka must have contacted you about coming to, to our conference right. there. And then what happened was, uh, yeah, one of the guys that, it, that I knew from the European Leadership Forum, uh, his dad is the pastor of a church in, um, how do you say that? Belicerka. Um, Belicerka. Really, really nice people. Great church. Yeah. Sweet, sweet hearts for the Lord. And uh, so I had a chance to teach there. And uh, we had a few hundred uh, pastors, church leaders, and a whole series of things on moral purity that we did. Yeah, that was great. That, that's great. great. And so uh, you, you didn't probably really know this at the time, but um, I'm the one that was pretty much uh, responsible for getting the video done of that and oh, and everything. So I don't know if you – did you have a chance – did I send you a link to the videos we put up yeah, on that? I try not to look at myself on video. It's pretty <laughs> – <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> they say I have a radio face. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Okay. Well, that's why we're not going to publish video of this this interview. So, <laughs> but uh, anyway, so usually I'm there, you know, every time for that conference. But we happen yeah. to be in the states this time. In fact, 
well, that Saturday that you spoke was the Saturday that our daughter got married. And so. Oh, well, congratulations. Was, yeah, thanks. Yeah. So, so obviously I was, was not going to be at that conference. <laughs> yeah, that was a good choice. Good choice. <laughs> That's what my family told me. One of the things about that conference, Caleb, too, that was just amazing is uh, we have a, a disability ministry in our church. Okay. A substantial ministry. So the fact that I got to meet a number of the hearing impaired people in oh, that right. church, uh, yeah. and, uh, and I did the same thing when I was in Kiev, and uh, it was amazing. And, and, and to be able to watch God touch their hearts, because immorality in the hearing impaired community is rampant. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, abuse, uh, especially of the children and mm-hmm. the young men and women because they can't speak up mm-hmm. uh, and so forth. And, uh, and, in, and as, as well as even voluntarily uh, in the teenage uh, world of the hearing impaired and in the adult world, because touch is so very important mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. when one of your senses is gone. Mm-hmm. And in particular, the most difficult of the senses that to be gone would be hearing because it is and so immorality within the deaf community is rampant internationally, hmm. uh, as well as trafficking is as well. So, right. so it was just great to talk to those men and women and, uh, and then just to be marvel at the fact that I'm speaking in English and it's being translated into, I'm not sure if it's Ukrainian or Russian. Russian. Uh, and, was it Russian? And then to have that translated into Russian sign and then they came back to me for dialogue. It, it was just an incredible experience. Uh, I, I just loved it. So. Yeah, and that's you know something that that conference has has done consistently to minister to to the deaf community. And I know that when we've done other conferences too, I've I've tried to invite translators for the hearing impaired because because I just know that's a community that that misses out on a lot of things that the church yeah. does. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, and and one of the pastors there, in fact, I know they're working on a project right now. They are making a a sign language Bible. Oh, cool! Which means that they're recording video, video of signing through the whole Bible. It's a pretty pretty cool project. Yeah, that's great. That's yeah. great. But yeah, so so anyway, we we published. Um, we we try to to really utilize the the web as much as we can, with, like with these conferences, because we just know that that allows us to multiply the effect of of whatever we're doing. So, uh, and were you able to identify the number of viewers online and all that stuff? I uh, you know. yeah, I I don't remember the numbers for that one, but. I could I could probably even right now go and look. I'm pretty sure you you got there was on we actually tend to get more on the live stream than we do on the on the yeah. videos later. Right. And gotcha. I think on on some of those live streams um it was probably several hundred. Yeah, good. Good. Yeah. Yeah, that's what's amazing about you know modern technology, you know, is that uh when I uh, teach at the European Leadership Forum, I remember one of my workshops, I only had a few people. And I thought, wow, to travel all this way for a few. But then I looked later at the number of people that watched it online. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then my other things. And we're talking 68,000. Wow, yep. Yeah. 68,000. So, you know, and I'm an old guy. I don't get this, right? 
But what a privilege to be able to use modern technology that way and to be able to realize that you can speak to a few and reach a million. Right. And uh, so to yeah. Yeah, that's like you, you know. So yeah. good for you. So yeah, I was definitely you know pleased with, and I I would listen into a little bit too, <laughs> live even. <laughs> so um, so that that was neat. But but definitely, I think you know the topic is is so necessary to 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 bring up and and to focus on and light with the uh, you know through the God's word uh, the and. Um, I think that one of the reasons that I really was glad that you came and, and chose that topic was because I've just had a number of, of men, young men, come to me in the last over the last year or so, I would say year year and a half maybe, uh, with you know, I say, Hey, I'm addicted to pornography, what do I do? And um, you know, I will I will do my best to try and talk with them, counsel them. But one of the things that we want to do is, is, is be able to give them resources mm-hmm. that are already out there. And so um, I know that you, your book is being is, – is it being translated to Russian, Ukrainian, both? Yeah, actually, pleased to tell you, after I get off the phone here, I have to sign the contract Okay. Uh, the Eastern European mission that wants to put the Ukrainian translation out this year. Okay. And they're so sweet about that, and because I don't take any funds for these books, every cent goes back into buying more books, so I don't take any money. Mm-hmm. So they're going to translate that and uh, and distribute it to leaders in Ukraine, and then I am negotiating with a Russian translator I met at uh, Circa. I I'm going to be I'm negotiating with him. Uh, I'll be sending an email out to him mm-hmm. later this afternoon, and uh, in which I will be hiring him to translate it into Russian. Right. And so I'm hoping the Ukrainian translation will be done later this year. It mm-hmm. takes that long for them, but it's been approved. I'm hoping that the Russian translation will be done, and if when these are done, they will be posted online, mm-hmm. uh, and and. And we'll work through a uh, distributor there. But also, if there are Western viewers, European viewers, uh, they can also order it through Amazon. Right. And uh, right. it'll be PDF and it'll be print-on-demand versions for them. Right. Um, it's a little bit more expensive than going to a uh, – but we'll keep – actually, we're going to keep the cost the same as if it was in a bookstore. And all the proceeds will go to buying more books right. to give to People, more yeah, that's wonderful. And yeah, definitely keep us informed about the Sassos right. so, translations. Cause... They can go to mypuritywar.com or, okay. um, and, and if you go to the website and go to the tra- international page mm-hmm. and look for their country's flag, mm-hmm. see a flag of Russia, they'll see a flag of uh, Belarus, they'll see a flag of Ukraine, and so forth. And there's a lot of... Uh, you know, Russian Ukrainian seminars that are uh, that are uh, recorded there, right? And English slash, uh, you know, Russian Ukrainian or, or Belarusian. So I say that to say that's a good resource for them at this point to get started on that study. Right, right. If they're English speaking, they can order the book on that same website uh, through Amazon or through our website as well. Yeah, so. I, I actually have the Kindle version of it, so Good. that's Good. 
usually pretty helpful for me, especially when we're in Ukraine, because I hate waiting three months for a book to show up. So, <laughs> so I use that a lot. But uh, so, well, t- tell tell us a little bit then. Maybe go into a little bit of the book um, you, that you wrote. Uh, what maybe first of all kind of led you to write this yeah, book? Good question. Really good question. I've been in the ministry for almost 45 years. A uh, little bit of my background, I um, come out of an Italian family and, uh, and a pretty infamous family. In fact, my cousin was the infamous gangster Al Capone. I think uh, everyone knows who that is. <laughs> people joke about that, but yeah. I don't joke about it. I'm, I'm really ashamed of it. But I can't pick my ancestors. I can influence my descendants, right? Right. So when I became a Christian, I was never involved in the mafia, but I certainly had the mindset and the immorality and the lifestyle, if you will. But I became a Christian in 1971. And what shocked me, Caleb, was that when I began attending a church, and it was a very conservative church, but I began to observe that some of the same things I saw in my ungodly family, I mm-hmm. saw in church, mm-hmm. the abuse of money, the abuse of power, mm-hmm. and even the abuse of sex. And, and I was surprised. I, I don't know why now I'm not surprised. We're all sinners saved by grace. But I was just shocked. And <clears throat> I, was, I was expecting that somehow they wouldn't act like my old family, that they would act like a new family, right. the family of God. And I saw the same sins. And I began this uh, observation and so forth, and and uh, ultimately, I didn't go to seminary to deal with sexual impurity. I went to seminary to shepherd God's people. Mm-hmm. But then ultimately, I ended up in doctoral studies, and uh, I did my doctoral research on why pastors fall morally. It was at a time when the televangelists were falling. Right. It was involved with counseling. I won't go into the details of that, but I was on the counseling teams of some of those folks. I was involved with confronting some of those folks. I was involved with uh, researching how it happened, why it happened, when it happened, and so forth. So for five years, I did my doctoral research on that. Um, Missionaries, I traveled internationally. And I like to say it was a season when I felt like I was dipped and done. But I um, realized that more men and women in ministry haven't fallen than have. That's Mm -hmm. good but the ones that fall get the attention, right? right? right. And said to David, you've given occasion for the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, right? You want to be famous? Just fall. Your missionaries will spread your name all over the world. You can be in a small church and become famous. Just cheat on your wife. So I began to discover the reasons why these godly people that went out in ministry all over the world sold their ministries for five minutes of pleasure just like Esau sold his birthright. And so we began to look at that. In the process, I had to also take a proactive stance rather than a reactive. What do you do with pastors who have fallen? All right, that's worth research. But what do you do with those that haven't? Mm -hmm. How do you prevent it? How do you be proactive rather than reactive? And so I wrote this book, uh, and uh, called The Purity War, A Biblical Guide to Living in an Immoral World. In which its theological base, Caleb, is that God is one mm-hmm. and designed us for oneness. Physical, emotional, spiritual, sexual, 
relational. Um, God designed us for oneness because he's one. So that's the theological basis for it. And that Satan is the anti-oneness God. Mm-hmm. He hates oneness. And, and especially he hates oneness in marriage, right? So he tries to get marriages to divide, and especially in, in sexual sins. So I began to write this book about that, and in the process, uh, there are hundreds of verses, because the Bible has more to say about sexual sin than it does about heaven or hell. So we laid the book out that way with a theological basis for this, that God designed us for oneness, that it's God's will that we be pure. He calls us to be pure. He'll enable us to be pure because he loves oneness. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one. We were created to be one. And so, therefore, it's a huge issue with God. In fact, every other sin a man commits is outside the body. There is something different about sexual sin than every other sin. Right, not talking right. about venial sin, but it's the dividing sin. Mm-hmm. And that's why idolatry, idolatry and adultery are the same thing. That's why they're used interchangeably throughout the Word of God. Israel committed idolatry, but God calls it adultery hmm. because it's anti-women's. And so James says, well, James 4, you adulteresses, friendship with the world is hostility toward God. What do you mean? Why didn't he call us idolaters? Because it's the same sin. Uh, it is anti-oneness. You can't have, you can't love God in money. You're an adulterer when you do. Right, well, on right. the same, when you break your vows with your spouse, you it is idolatrous, but it's also adulterous. So we, the, the book explains that. But then it goes into um, how to be proactive. How to guard your mind, because that's where sexual sin begins. Yeah, and you know, I think one thing that I've come across often is that when you look at some, especially a pastor, let's say, that has fallen, usually the initial response is, oh, how could that have happened to that person? And I think that when we say something like that, the assumption is that would never happen to me. I, that would be, I would never do something like that. And um, and how do, how does that when you talk about being proactive, um, how, how does that relate to that idea of well you know so I can't that was such a, a horrible sin that so and so fell into I would never do something like that. Um, well, there's, how there's do we two, look at those things? Yeah, really good question. There's two tiers of that. On one hand, pastors are people, so they have the same struggles we all do as people. Right. The flesh, the devil in the world, same attacks. But there is also a special attack on those that go into ministry. Um, every Tuesday, Satan is fast to the God of this world that Christian leaders would fall. Did you know that? No. Yeah. So next Tuesday, when you're having your meals, just remember to pray for your pastor or your church leaders. Um, because Satan knows that if you can go after a pastor and discredit him, after a missionary and discredit him or her, then he doesn't have to go after the people of God, because as the leaders go, so go the people. Mm-hmm. He's a strategist. We know this in business. We know this in government. We know this as the father in the home goes, so go the children. We know this in life. So it is with Christian leaders. So there's a sense that it's two-tiered. There's the normal attack we all have with the flesh, the devil, and the world, but then there's the advanced attack on the leaders 
because by doing that, he can get to all of us. Mm -hmm. So there is a sense that when you take a higher profile position, you're under greater attack, uh, you know, and, and need to be shored up and prayed for and guarded. Having said that, uh, you, you're also responsible for your choices. There was one televangelist who blamed the people of God when he fell morally because they didn't pray enough for him. Well, no, 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 that's not true. But there is a special attack on leaders when they counsel people of the opposite sex, which they shouldn't be doing. First Timothy chapter 2 says that men should be counseling men and women should be counseling women. Uh, when they attract that way and don't pay attention, when they don't live on the inside the way they preach on the outside, when pride gets in the way or inferiority, which is the opposite of pride, but it's the same sin. And also um, when they get this compartmentalized approach to life, well, I, I must be doing okay in my ministry. Look at my church, it's growing. And that's the attack. So they have to be constantly on guard uh, I have another book that's eventually going to come out on the, the special attacks on leaders. But you've got to be foundational about the attack on us as humans. You start with the fact that as a leader, I'm a human. Right, right. Well, you know, and I think, I think that especially in the, at least my experience, in the, in the Slavic-Ukrainian context, text, uh, part of the problem we have is that leaders may not consider themselves human, but the people in the churches may not consider their leaders human. That's a real problem. In fact, there is one of the reasons we, we, we call it the Gideon syndrome. Um, when the people of God said to Gideon, be our king, be our king. And Gideon says, no, God is king. This is Judges chapters uh, 6 through 8. Be God is my king. And we applaud Gideon, but then he turns around and builds the ephod, and it's a snare to Israel, and he falls morally. Not sexually, but morally, certainly. And with that, we realize that sometimes, you know, um, we in ministry can take responsibility that is not ours and start to act like God. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and people love it. They said, be our king, Gideon. And, of course... He said, no, God is king, and then turns right around and names his son Abimelech. In the Hebrew, Abimelech means my father's the king. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Something going on in your brain when you name your child, my father's the king. <laughs> yeah. So suddenly Gideon is saying, oh, no, no, and outside his mouth, God is king. And in, in, in his inner heart, he's going, I'm a pretty special person. Right. So you get the two-way attack there, the people that elevate and the man that elevates. And then the people that shoot him down and the man that shoots himself down. So it goes both ways. It's kind of like a vicious circle, really, once it gets it going. Is, like that. Because it's because it pride, <clears throat> Moses's pride was, I can't do it. Peter's pride was, I can do it. Mm -hmm. And God said to both of them, no, 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 I will do it. Right. So a pastor that's so inferior and insecure can fall morally because some person comes into his life and says, oh, pastor – you're so wonderful. I wish my husband was like you. Mm -hmm. Or another guy that thinks he's he's not vulnerable to sin because God used him. Pride will take you. That's the that's the back door to sexual sin. Mm. And so you're you're in this constant battle. You know, if, you know, if you look, think too highly of yourself or think too lowly of yourself, you're in moral danger mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because humility, by definition, is thinking rightly of yourself. 
Right, right. I'm a sinner, but I'm saved by grace. I'm a sinner. Ah, but I'm saved by grace. Mm-hmm. And that constant tension that Paul talked about in Romans 7, right? Where, you know, where he's in this tug of war in, in Galatians 5, this tug of war between his flesh and his spirit. So explain to me, and I, I understand what you mean by um, if you think too lowly of yourself. I think what I call it sometimes is false humility. It, it kind of has a, an air of humility, but it it doesn't recognize God's grace in your life and the value that he's placed in you. But ex- explain for us a little bit, like, how, how is, I think, it, you know, people understand, yes, pride is the certainly a door to to sexual sin, but how could false humility or, or this thinking too down on yourself lead sure, to it? Because so insecure, you, you walk into your, let's say it's a pastor, okay, mm-hmm. is that, all right, or let's say it's anybody, and so, you, you know, you're just so insecure that you need constant affirmation from people, okay. because you don't, you don't see yourself the way God sees you, because mm-hmm. when he sees you, he says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, because we're indwelt by the Spirit of God. Right. We have the righteousness of Christ in us. So when God sees us, he sees Jesus. How does God feel about Jesus? So, but we can't, because of all of our agenda, of all of our baggage, all of our history in the world that doesn't applaud. And so suddenly now we get in a situation where the Bible says stolen water is sweet, where, where suddenly we're in that world of sexual affirmation. Right. Maybe it's distorted. You know, I'm, I'm out there getting pleasure in the wrong place, and it's pleasurable because it's in the wrong place. Or somebody is coming into my life saying things that I've always wanted to hear. It's not my husband. It's not my wife. Mm-hmm. And suddenly now I'm getting affirmed. Mm-hmm. I'm getting, And suddenly I feel better about myself. And what am I going to do? I'm going to give my body as a reward. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. my workplace sexual sin is so common. The wife comes home, her husband never says anything nice about it, you know, he says he comments about her weight or her work or lack of doing this or doing that, or even his her sexual responses, and then suddenly she goes to work and some guy pays attention to her because she's looking her best, smelling her best, acting her best, and she gets all the affirmation at work and the mm-hmm. next thing you know is meeting at a hotel room. Right, right. So, you know, that's where insecurity can play in. So so in other words, Having a correct understanding of yourself through through God's eyes is is vital. Absolutely, yeah. And the truth of the matter is, your your I do not pray to please God. I pray because I'm already pleasing to God. I don't, you know, the Bible says, "Be holy, for I am holy." I don't act holy in order to gain holiness. I have the righteousness of Christ in me. Mm-hmm. And I can be holy. I may choose not to be because I'm a volitional creature that can make choices, but I can be. Paul said that in First Thessalonians chapter 4, you know, that it's God's will that you be pure. All right. And he enables us to be pure and even calls us to be pure. The only issue is whether you want to be. That's the difference between a believer and the unbeliever, right? Mm-hmm. But I can be pure. I may choose not to be. You may choose not to be, Chris, but we can be. And that's the difference, because I'm not enslaved to sin anymore. Galatians 5, right? Other places. I'm in tug-of-war with sin. Right, right. It's not slavery. When I was an unbeliever, I was enslaved. Even my righteousness was like dirty diapers, right? Like filthy rags. So now I'm not enslaved to sin. Uh, I choose to sin, 
I don't have to sin. The unbeliever has can't even do righteous things that aren't sinful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That the psalm even says his prayers are sin. The unbeliever, right, right, because he's he's not praying in faith. He's not praying as a relationship with God. He just has God as his cosmic Santa Claus, you know, and uh, he doesn't. So he doesn't have a relationship with the Father. But when he's in need, he calls, and God says, "I don't know you." Jesus said that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do Do you ever? Do you ever come to situations where where people come for counseling, you know, about uh, this issue and find out they're actually not saved? Of course, of course. Uh, I don't. In fact, I here's what I more found. I found that many believers who are true believers, because of their sexual addictions and other things, think they're not believers. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I found that more because it's distorting to them. Because, the okay, because they can't overcome a certain sin, so they think... Yeah. Exactly. So the pornography at 2 o'clock in the morning, you know, the pastor that's, or the church leader or the, the choir director or the, or the Sunday school teacher, you know, the, the, the person that can't sort out this dissonant relationship, that on one hand, they're serving God, and on the other hand, they have this secret life. Mm-hmm. And the book deals with that at length. Mm-hmm. of how to do that by guarding your mind and guarding your body and then guarding each other. In fact, the whole half of the book is on that. Mm-hmm. And then talked about the way back. Well, and how- let me ask you this. When you look around, you've traveled quite a bit uh, and seen how different, let's say, church leaders function. What are maybe a couple of, of things or practices that you see or, or approaches to ministry that you think are, are probably dangerous or at least give more opportunity to uh, lead to some sort of a moral fall? Yeah, I would, I would, uh, we teach a seminar on this. We didn't do it in uh, Ukraine or other places. It's called Immorality in the Ministry. If they're English speaking, they can find that, um, <clears throat> especially at the, um, the, uh, the European Leadership Forum. There's a whole bunch of seminars on that. Okay. But number one, as I said, is um, what we call counter-transference. It means when they transfer their affections on somebody they're counseling. Okay. Counselees will always transfer affections, you know, mm-hmm. because you've been, if you will, a spiritual guide in their life. <clears throat> and they reward through affection. Mm-hmm. People that I counsel. That's why I don't counsel women. I train women and the older women in my church to counsel, but I don't counsel women. I may meet with them one time with the door open so I can know where to refer them, but I don't, I don't do long-term. Uh, so that's number one. Number two is this, you've got to deal with your inner life. Because mm-hmm. we're taught as pastors, church leaders, professors, uh, uh, missionaries, you know, that we've got to be out doing ministry. But the truth is we have to be in doing ministry. We have to be in our lives. I, I have to be in the Word every day. I, this morning, uh, and uh, 45 minutes this morning, I, mm-hmm. you know, probably longer than that, but I have to be for myself. Mm-hmm. Time with God. I'm in the book of Exodus right now. Time with God, when I just cry out to God and say, God, you know, search me. Uh, I, don't, I don't want the Word of God to come in my brain and out my mouth without it coming through my heart. Right. Right. So the, the, the Christian leader of any sort, parent or, you know, leader of any sort has to start with the circle with themselves uh, or, or they'll get in this. I'm OK, because look at 
you know, the wealth I have, the church I have, the ministry I have, I must be okay with God because he's blessing me. And that's not true. God will bless you in the middle of sin. Right. Right. So, so that's number two. Number three, as I said, is pride. Uh, that, that, you know, when you first start ministry, you know, not too many people are, are filled with pride when you first start because you make too many mistakes. But pretty soon you start to believe your press clippings. Pretty soon you're mature enough as a human being to not make too many mistakes that are that show. Right. So, you know, I don't care what size your church, your ministry, whatever. There's some people that like you. If they really knew you, they may not like you as much as they do now. You know, I remember one Bible teacher said, if you really knew me, you'd turn off your radio. Uh, you know, we all know that. But we have to realize that that God uses us partly because of us and partly in spite of us. And you're always in that tension, that balance in life. Uh, the last one is inferiority of somehow believing that the guys with the bigger churches, the bigger ministries, the people with more money, the people with better health or whatever those things, that God is blessing them better, that they're better than us, and that that's right. how we prove we're okay with the stuff we gather, the people we gather, the books we write, the things that we do, uh, and and so forth. Uh, and we have got to get down to the fact that, as you just said earlier, Chris, that we have been bought with a price. When God sees us, he sees his son. And uh, we're all in varying levels of external success. Right. But the truth is, when we get to heaven and the awards are, are, are rewards are handed out, I have a feeling that some of our more famous Christians aren't going to be in the front of the line. It might just be that Christian in the shade. Mm-hmm. You know, that guy before the writing, before the printing press, you know, when none of his sermons uh, went past the 50 people that he reached in his lifetime in his little village. Mm-hmm. You know, that guy who served the Lord or the, or the Maserite that was hidden in a room counting jots and tittles in a Hebrew text. Well, you know, I think that, that so often we, it's just so easy to fall into this idea that uh, so-and-so leader is so necessary for the success of whatever church or ministry. Uh, I've just been listening to some audio recordings from uh, from there in Russian from from a time in the seventies, well, actually more the eighties, uh, when so about the time the Soviet Union fell, when there was a large church um, denomination, and the leaders were in sin; they had fallen morally, but the rest of the leaders of the church wanted to cover it up because they felt like this leader was so important to the success of their many times. And, and I think it's, it's easy to think about, you know, think that way about ourselves sometimes too. And and it's such a, such a dangerous thought. Mm-hmm. I agree. And it's pandemic. Mm-hmm. And that's what's sad. And that's why I'm grateful. I, I'm honored that God would even choose to use this thing. When I first went to the Philippines um, many years ago and taught this to a number of pastors, the missionaries said to me, um, this is taboo. You can't talk about this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I taught a seminar. I think there were 60, 70 pastors. And I taught on this stuff. And I and they, the response was brokenness, and 
on their knees praying. It was amazing revival. And finally, I had to say, so why? I, I was told that this is taboo and I shouldn't be teaching this. And they said, no, the fact that it is taboo is the reason you should be teaching. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We have got to talk about these things because we're, we're doing this behind the closed doors of our life. We need to talk about this openly so we can keep each other accountable. Right. Because right. we're not an island. I, I need you. You need me. We need each other. I was never made to do ministry alone. Uh, you know, I'm not a lone ranger shooting my silver bullets and riding off into the sunset. You see, I need my, I need So the book is designed, if I might, by first of all, teaching you to guard your mind. Secondly, to guard your body by presenting your body every day as God. And all the different instruction. But then also to have accountability. Mm -hmm. and, and we're not just talking about meeting with a guy for a cup of coffee. We're talking, and the book has an entire accountability program at the end. In fact, a third of the book is the accountability side. Mm -hmm. it, maybe a little less, but it's it's 18 weeks of accountability questions and all kinds of different opportunities there because many leaders say they're accountable, but they're, all they are is responsible. It means the board can fire them. The church can fire them. <laughs> right, that's right. Accountability, that's responsibility. But unless people that you work with and work for ask you hard questions, right, then you're not accountable. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if I can't call your wife, Caleb, and say, so how's Caleb doing in that area? If I can't ask your daughter when she got married and you walked her down the aisle, and is, is a godly father walking you down the aisle? Uh, are you, do you want your husband to be just like your dad? You see, those are the questions we lovingly ask each other with the idea that we're also sinners, right? Right. But those are the things that we need to ask each other, uh, and and but to be able to give answers instead of the you know because we're good at lying, we're good at making ourselves look good. Yeah, unfortunately, that that is very true. One of the great Bible teachers in America um, pulled me aside one day and he said, "So I know what you're teaching on this." He said, "But my experience is if a guy's going to commit adultery, what makes you think he's going to tell me the truth?" And I said, and I, and I was, I was kind of caught off guard because I really respect this guy; he's a dear friend. And then I, I got home and I thought the guy had been accountable in the little things. First of all, he might not have gotten there. But secondly, if he did, he'd be telling somebody because if you're faithful in the middle. So if you tell a guy, it's a lot easier to tell a guy. You know, I slipped up and looked at that billboard, or gee, I watched something I shouldn't have watched. Right. Than it is to tell a guy I'm addicted to pornography. Yeah, and it's a lot yeah. easier to tell a guy I'm addicted to pornography than it is I've have, I'm having a series of affairs. Right, right. In other words, the deeper the sin, the harder to share. So if you're accountable in little things, you know, how, how's your walk with your wife? How's your relationship to God? How, how's your spiritual pulse? What's your attitude today? You know, how about the idolatry in your life with greed and, and anger? And that's why I wrote this book on anger, because that's the second thing that men deal with. Mm -hmm. right? Well, you know, I, I think, too, the, the whole accountability thing, you know, it, it's obviously a lot more than just getting together with someone and say, hey, here's the sins I did last week. What sins did you do? You know, yeah. or it's... No, it's, it, it's Yeah, it's, uh, it, it is a encouraging fellowship thing, which altogether is going to strengthen you in the faith 
and help you to avoid sin. Let me read for you the the first worksheet. Okay. Because they're great questions. And I'll ask these of you. You don't have to answer them. (laughs) Okay. These these are what I would ask you. You know, we just met, and I would ask you, have you been faithful in the Word and prayer? Are you growing in your intimacy with God? Because mm-hmm. I don't ask my kids, did you read your Bible? Go to church. I ask them, do you have something special going on with Jesus? Right, right. Two, have I been sensitive to the needs of my spouse and my family? Mm-hmm. Right? It's a good question. Yep. Three, have I been struggling with impure thoughts? Who doesn't? So to what level? Have I been looking at questionable material which would bring shame to the Lord? Mm-hmm. You know? How'd you handle that pop-up on your screen? Mm-hmm. Uh, I took five seconds. I should have taken two. Mm-hmm. Have I been alone with someone in any kind of situation when my feelings or my actions became inappropriate or where others could have suspected something? Mm-hmm. Right? We all have that. Oh, man, my, I was talking to that girl at the store, and, man, my brain turned to her body rather than what I needed at the store. All right, right tell me that. Uh, six, am I experiencing any physical problems? Why? Oh, that can take you down the road. Eating right? getting adequate rest and sufficient exercise. I cannot tell you how many unfit people fall into uh, pornography. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, direct correlation. Interesting, they yeah. Themselves. All right, the next one, lastly, is am I facing challenges that are negatively affecting my physical, emotional, or spiritual well-being? Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. when we're in the tube, we go to the tube, right? And then number eight, the last one, have I lied or compromised my answer to any of the above questions? <laughs> That's wow. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that good. That this is, is and that's only number one, and then it goes through a whole issue about you know how you're doing in the area of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness, mm-hmm. self-control. Mm-hmm. How's your anger quotient? How you doing? You know what's driving you nuts today? What do you you know? Where are you a little bit angry at God today? If the truth be told, right? I'm disappointed today. Those are the questions. If I can get you, Chris, on that level. But we laugh together and go, oh, man, yeah, you know, I, you know, I, I had two bowls of Cheerios this morning instead of one. Uh, you know, and we laugh about that. I'll go, hey, man, be careful. Me too, okay? So then you get them to, if you were thinking about cheating on your wife, you'd call me and say, man, you know how, much, how many boxes of Cheerios we talked about? You know how many times I told you about, well, it's getting worse, man, help. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then you might not go in the next step. Right, right. Yeah, that, that's what accountability is. And, I don't even know how to put that in a word. Yeah, and the difficulty, I think, especially with church leadership, is um, is that it it is a lonely position, mm-hmm. and it is a position that is sort of put off to the side or or put up to the front, really. But but it's nobody wants to be that person to hold the pastor accountable, you know, and, and that's, I think, um, I don't know if you've read Paul David Tripp's book on dangerous calling, but he kind of goes into some of those dangers that oftentimes pastors get into because mm-hmm. they're the person that everybody else goes to for these problems, but who's the pastor go to? Right. You know, and I guard myself from that, um, you know, and it doesn't matter if you're in a large church or a small church. Uh, I insist on surrounding myself with people that aren't impressed with me. Mm-hmm. That's uncomfortable. Yeah, but it's really neat. They just love me. Mm-hmm. And they're not enamored. 
Mm-hmm. They just love me. And I surround myself. When I come back from a trip, I have to give an account. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and uh, they'll ask me the hard questions. I expect my staff, I have a large church staff, and I expect them to ask me hard questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do the same. I'll walk right up to one of my staff members and go, man, so if I called your wife, and said, so how's your husband treating you? What would she say? Okay. We have one of our elders not too long ago come into the boardroom and uh, say, I just got an argument with my wife. You know what we said? Go home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Go go home and get take care of this. Right, right. Church business when your wife's mad at you. Mm-hmm. Go home. So he goes home. 45 minutes later, he comes back with a smile and says, my wife wouldn't believe it. She said, I went, she thought I went to the principal's office and got sent home. And she walked and gave me a kiss and sent me home. And I said, so are you guys okay? And she says, she's more than okay. Wow. She knows that you guys care about us. Right. Yeah. And that, that in, in ministry context, that happens so often where, where that relationship, husband, wife relationship gets sacrificed on the altar of ministry. And, um, and what I've seen in Ukraine, I mean, I'm getting to the point now where I've, I have more you know, ministry experience in Ukraine than I do in the States. But what I've seen in Ukraine is that sometimes that's even sort of like a, a badge of of proving yourself as a minister is that, that you're you're not home. And, you, you know, and you think, wow. Well, so uh, let me tell you. Uh, Caleb, what brought more pastors to tears than anything else I've ever said in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. I said to them, my wife is still my girlfriend. Mm. And I said, I would rather be with her than preach. And there were 1,600 people in that room. Mm-hmm. And I said, I would rather be with my girlfriend at that point I think it was 40 years 38 years or something mm-hmm. we've been married. it's 45 you know that's my favorite thing to, to do mm-hmm. to hang with my wife mm-hmm. you know does that mean we don't have our issues of course we do All right, but she's still my body and I, and, I, and I remember one of the pastors of a very large church came up to me and started the week really and he said, how did you keep that? I said, it's hard work. Mm-hmm. It's hard work. You know? But, you know, but I have to give as much effort, if not more. You know, now the fact that she's really a neat lady and she loves the Lord and loves me in spite of me. And that, that kind of helps, too. And she's not a crank. You know, I get it. She's not bitter. She loves ministry and all that stuff. Fine. Okay. I got a feeling it's her part, too. Sure. Right? But I say that to say, you know, um, she could die or I could die and there's no issues. Mm-hmm. Nothing passed. And, and so I, th- I think that's definitely – go ahead. Right. And said – so they wanted to not talk about purity. They wanted to talk about how to maintain your romantic relationship with your wife after decades. Right. That was huge right. for those men in Ukraine. Well, and I think that that's a huge piece of the puzzle too because – uh, when you do have joy at home, you're a lot less likely to fall outside of the home. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But if you're spending all your time outside of the home, you, <laughs> it's not likely you're going to have joy at home. 
because we're men. And part of the thing about men, uh, Caleb, that I'm sure you know, is that we derive our self-image on the basis of the work of our hands. Right. So we want to be successful and we want it to be visually proven. Mm-hmm. How does a, so what is a pastor's visual success? The size of his ministry, the size of his salary, that, you know, whatever it is, the size of the church building or the number of people or the titles that he has. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I want to tell you what I believe to be successful. Um, I watched my own father die and didn't care. Mm-hmm. I was 19. I wasn't a believer. Mm-hmm. I want to tell you what I believe is success. Is that when I'm dead and when my wife can look at my dead body and say thanks. And when my kids or somebody says, you're just like your dad, they'll stick out their chest and not their tongue. Mm -hmm. That to me is the success that I want. All the other stuff is ancillary. I don't want them to say, oh yeah, my dad wrote a number of books. My dad traveled internationally. My dad had a big church. My dad this and that, I don't care. Because that can be gone tomorrow. I really do. And I know that sounds like every pastor says that, I just got to tell you, that's what drives me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that uh, the reality is that the success that you talk about is a success that is going to more more clearly reflect on, on your, your inward state. Because you can do a lot of stuff. You can travel, you can write books and all that kind of stuff, but not not have a strong inward faith, inward man spiritually so well i think you know that's probably a great piece of advice to kind of end this interview on i feel like i've just had a good counseling session with you (laughs) so thank you well friends i hope that you were blessed by that interview i know that i was felt like i went through a bit of a counseling session (laughs) which was good and if you can would appreciate it if you check out this uh, podcast on our website sugofamily.org you'll find show notes there and links to books and things like that that we talk about in the podcast episode and also if you can leave a review on iTunes or wherever you download your podcast that does help this podcast to get out in front of other people so we appreciate that And we also appreciate your prayers. That's probably even more important than a review. So if you want to sign up for our newsletter, go to sugofamily.org slash pray. And that is the place where you can sign up for our newsletter. I usually try and send something out about once a week. And that will keep you up to date with what's going on in our family ministry and some of the things, writing projects that I'm working on, as well as prayer requests. Uh, so we definitely appreciate that. All right, friends, until next time, be blessed. Be blessed.